Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome to another episode of Shared History. History tastes good, like a cigarette should. Cass? Yes. Do we need a do we need to talk about about <coughs> tobacco? Oh, oh, Cass. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Guess I'm gonna start looking for another co-host. <laughs> this is this is a vocal medium, so Sorry, it's a like, visual. Podcasting is a visual medium. Everyone knows podcasting everyone is a visual that. medium. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I embarrassed myself like that. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> um, thank you for choosing of all of the taglines on that, the cigarette one that I was like, Cass is never going to do this particular tagline. Seriously? It was I, a, we've been running out of opening tags. And so Natalie just added a bunch. And it was, I read all of them. like, I'm doing Winston cigarettes. Hell yeah. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Speaking of taglines and branding and creative strategy, I'm going to introduce our guest. Are you ready for this? So ready. Great. Anna Byerly is a writer and is a podcast host. We love another podcast host of Made for Women, a passion project exploring the history behind male-dominated structures and how they can be reimagined for women. She also owns a branding studio, is a writer, and loves being a storyteller, which makes her perfect for this podcast. Welcome, Anna. Hello. I loved that segue. That was amazing. I am the segue queen. Sometimes they're very forced. (laughs) I thought you were about to say, <laughs> speaking of cigarettes, speaking like, of where, cigarettes. where are we going with this? Uh, I like was... to do a smooth, I like to smooth out a shoehorned segue <laughs> so that you think that it was a good one, but really I just said it very confidently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Anna is joining us from Denver, Colorado, Yes, which I... I'm jealous of mostly because I've not left Chicago in so long. I forgot what anything not flat looks like. I know. I feel like every other locale sounds super exotic and exciting right now. <laughs> Just every everyone posts like a picture of them in their backyard. And I'm like, oh, to be alive and there. But, you know, c'est la pandémie. Welcome on the pod, I was normally we ask our guests like if they dig history, but like you dabble in a history in history in your podcast as well. So I guess I kind of know the answer to that, but like I'm gonna ask anyway. How do you feel about history, Anna? (laughs) It's a great question. I love it. I think I like history so much now as an adult because it seemed really boring to me as a kid sitting in like social studies class or whatever. I love (laughs) what you all talk about on this podcast, like the stuff that you didn't necessarily know about and kind of the other side of history, which is what interests me. And I'm a huge nerd and I love researching stuff. So this is right up my alley. I also love history in the context of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, Kids would hate history so much less 
if like you just learn how to teach it. Wow, like, sick burn on all of Cass's history teachers. <laughs> no, no, no. The thing is, I've had a lot of like really amazing teachers, whether it be history or a lot of other subjects. Um, and I never understood like people being like, oh, I hate it. It's so boring. I was like, it's a story. But I'm also a nerd, so. Oh, totally. I also <laughs> think that like we learned about the same, you know, like 25 people in history class as kids. Yeah. Uh, yes. So it's really fun to learn about other people and learn about kind of like the parts of history that we didn't know about um, that, you know, aren't aren't covered in those uh, first, whatever, 12 years of school. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like to all of our history teachers credit, like they they do a lot with the state-approved books that they've yes. been providing. But you can only tell such, you can only weave such a comprehensive or even engaging story when the highlights that need to be covered on standardized testing or whatever are like dates and and racists. Yeah, like the... the- <laughs> Um, All right, open your book to dates and racists. It's the whole thing. (laughs) Pretty much. And like speaking of segues too, like that that is something (laughs) that I love to talk about is like, I think that, you know, 99% of the history that we've learned is the the white man history. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I like to explore uh, is... The, the is white man history? Well, oh, I, I, thought, I thought you liked to explore white man <laughs> And history. cigarettes. And yes. cigarettes. Probably um, part of it. Well, but no, I love... You set yourself up for a great segue <laughs> into your story, because I know that you didn't bring us some dates and racists today. <laughs> I tried my best to, to go the other way. But yeah, so I, like you kind of started to mention already, I love to think about how we can reimagine things, how we can reimagine structures. Speaking of, you know, those dates and racists, a lot of the things that we do every day is because some white guy decided hundreds of years ago, this is the way we're going to do it. And I love thinking about that everyday stuff and how we can rethink it to work better for how we're doing it today. Because at the end of the day, usually the stuff that we say, we've always been doing it this way, or this is kind of how we've always done it, isn't going so great. And it's also not been going on as long as you think it has. It's been some sort of white guy idea that's only been going on for maybe a couple hundred years at most. That's the thing that baffles me. I feel like history is always set up like teaching it in the context of like, this happened a long, long time ago. No, someone just decided this. We have time to fix this. Or the things, I mean, some things have been around for centuries and whatnot, but some of the dumb shits like, I don't know, Todd just decided like 50 years ago, we're going to do that. Fuck Todd. Totally. I mean, I think that, you know, speaking of the the time that we're recording this in coronavirus times, you know, we're rethinking what work life looks like. We're rethinking what office structure looks like. And I think that a lot of people think, okay, like this is a wild and new idea. But I mean, offices as we know them have been around for a hundred years, maybe. And so it's really not that crazy when you look at all of history in the world. It's It's kind of not a big deal to be rethinking this. We haven't been doing it for that long. Yeah, we've just kind of been resting on our laurels being like, this is what it is. Yes. First of all, quit resting on Laurel. Give her a break. (laughs) Secondly. God damn it, Natalie. (laughs) That's all I think of whenever I hear that (laughs) phrase. But it's, what is it? Is it... It's one of whatever, whichever Newton's law 
is the one where it's like an object in motion will remain in motion until it's it hits something or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good at science. <laughs> Shared science. <laughs> oh um, God. <laughs> New spinoff. New spinoff. We've joked about shared mathematics before. Both of these would be disasters. <laughs> that's how we treat. That's how we treat so many elements of society. Like that's how we treat how the workforce works. That's how we treat how the government works. Is we get very like this is how it's always been, and it's like yeah, and that's how it will be unless you change it. Novel concept. What? <laughs> totally. It's, uh, yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because that is so true. And it's like we can keep kind of coasting and living life how it is, or we can decide to change something. And that's like, a, that's a big thing I'm going to be exploring in my podcast. And it relates to a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. Woohoo! Well, let's dig in. Let's, well, actually, you know what? Quick question because I am a little curious. What is your favorite area of old white dude history? Like if you had to only study old white dudes, what's kind of your favorite era or whatnot? Oh man, such a good question. I mean, I think this is kind of like maybe subverting the topic, but like obviously Hamilton is great. So I love learning about that stuff through that lens. Like mm-hmm. I, I love learning about how like new countries were created, how like people kind of, you know, broke off and did their own thing. Um, yeah, that's that's always interesting. But I think that also kind rebellion. Of, you know, yes, yeah. rebellion. It goes along Super with the fact that, rebellion. Yeah, it goes along with the fact that we're talking about doing stuff differently. So maybe maybe that's my common theme there. You're drawn to change makers, if you will. I love it. Yes. Ooh, way to way to spin it, Nat. It's my job. I'm the spin queen and the segue queen. See, every time you say segue into a new topic, I think of you on a segue. It's like rolling into a new conversation. Good. Everything is going according to plan. <laughs> it sounds like if you ever need new podcast art, that's what I'm, that's what yeah. I'm imagining. <gasps> write it down, Natalie. Write that down. <laughs> okay. So that note is taken. <laughs> dazzle us with dazzle us with a with a story. Tell us a story, Anna. All right, you all, settle in. Get your get grab your a, warm beverages. Grab your, your carpet square. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like sit cross-legged. You know, I'm just like imagining everybody pulling up, getting excited for the very exciting topic that we're going to talk about today, which is more interesting than you think it's going to be. We're talking about the history of housework and how this became a women's issue. Okay. Oh, not not house building, like... No, like the stuff that you do in your house, like doing the dishes. Like the stuff that I've been putting off for Mm. a while. Oh yeah, and guys, we're going to get in deep to why you probably have been putting it off and why you don't like doing it and why oh this my God, weighs so like, on the shoulders of women way more than men. Everyone take notes so that if you live with someone of the male persuasion, you can yes. lay down some facts the next time you're told it's like your turn to do something or your duty to do something. Yeah, you all, when I was, I was reading into a lot of the stuff and doing the research for this, like, I told my husband, he, like, was like, we need to do the laundry, and I'm like, no. That sounds <laughs> like it's always, we, we need to, and it means you need to. Yeah. yeah like, excuse I, I, me, I'm sorry, husband, that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> I know. 
my husband told me once that I'm better at folding. I hope he never listens to this. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, no, no, come on. But uh, this topic actually is legitimately really interesting because I, I mentioned this a little bit up top, but I love thinking about why we do stuff. And this is one of those parts of history that just kind of fell into how it's done today. And there's really, spoiler alert, there's really no rhyme or reason to why we do some of this stuff the way that we do. So I'm excited to explore this because we definitely have the opportunity to change some stuff. And so we're going to be talking about housework and then also how that's evolved into the unpaid labor issue of today. So for anyone who isn't super familiar with that, that is the idea that quite often for women, there are things that we're expected to do in this sort of realm of things. So like it could be anything from the housework of like cooking, cleaning, doing dishes, could be more like taking care of kids or being caretakers. Um, But it's something that is super important today because it's something that affects a lot of women. And we just kind of, again, feel like this is something that just kind of happens, but it's something that evolved over time through listeners. You can't, you can't see, but I'm like, I'm like so excited, like clutching my face. I love something that's seeming like this isn't history. It's, it's the laundry, but then being like the social structure of why we're doing it goes back into history and context. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I'm so cast it like a very home alone style. (laughs) I love how you're like open. This isn't going to sound interesting. And then you said it, I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm in it already. Let's go. Yeah. So before we even dive in a quick stat for everybody is it is estimated. Yes. We're going to stat it up. So it is estimated that today worldwide unpaid labor is a $10.8 trillion industry which is like bigger than anything else. Like if you were to put a dollar amount to unpaid labor that is completed, that's how much it would be worth. Like if those, if that unpaid labor was paid, that's mm-hmm. cumulatively how much would be paid to that? Yes. Oh, I'm so upset. I'm so I know. I know. Yes. <laughs> that even, that doesn't even go into like underpaid labor. Yeah. And I'm like, and to be honest, I'm not a statistician, so I don't know exactly how that, <laughs> that stat was created, but it's from Oxfam and um, it's a really big number. I think they said that it's three times what like the technology industry is worth. I would imagine that like bare minimum, they found that by being like, this is the average amount of hours spent per household on housework each week and then like applied like minimum wage, which in that case, it's still wrong because minimum wage is a lie. Well, Natalie, what would Isaac Newton say that about that? (laughs) Um, we'll throw we'll throw shared science and cool, shared cool, math cool. into it and then be done with it. <laughs> Sir Isaac Newton would say about that, meow, 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 meow. That is the name of my cat. So that's what he would say about it. He'd be like, here's I twisted an apple. It. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, throw an apple at it. My cat's name is Sir Isaac Newton. That's not important. Carry that's on. amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was about to make another joke about that being white man history, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't have another good quip for that. <laughs> There's only so many jokes you can make about just the state of the world. Yep. <laughs> Before it stops being a comedy podcast, it starts being a <laughs> sad. <laughs> we're all just losing it a little bit together and we're only like, you know, a little a little bit into this topic. Yeah. But you know what? That's what brings us together. Yeah. I love it. We'll we'll say that. That will bring me peace. (laughs) 
I love it. And so when we talk about that little statistic too, a couple more quick ones for you before we dive into the history, is that it's estimated that women spend 37% more time completing unpaid labor tasks than men do. So this is very much like a women's thing. Like, you know, men do this stuff as well, but it very much is unfairly on the shoulders of women. Mm -hmm. And then also, this is like the big one for me, is that 42% of women cannot complete, quote unquote, market labor because of their unpaid labor responsibilities. So because of their responsibilities, whether that's taking care of kids, taking care of another family member, taking care of their house, they can't go get a job if they want to because they have all these other things they have to be doing. Yeah, because at that point, they'd have like eight jobs. Mm -hmm. Oh, girl, we're going into it. (laughs) Get ready. Strap in. Yes, everybody take a a deep breath if you need it. Take a deep breath and a large sip of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might might need it for this one. Uh, And and get ready. So we're going to jump in our little time machine, go back in history. And uh, this one... (laughs) Traveling through space and time. More science. More science. Um, and so our, our story begins around the start of the Industrial Revolution, as many, many things do. So before the Industrial Revolution, so like pre-mid-1800s, there wasn't such a thing really as working outside of the home. So like most people in the world just kind of like lived in their home, usually, you know, two parents, kids, and they would live in a small town or you live kind of on a piece of land and pretty much your entire quote unquote job was to keep up your land, keep your family alive. And you just kind of lived your life that way. So people are spending a lot of their days like taking care of their animals, taking care of their land, making food because you literally have to do everything yourself. You you can't go to the grocery store and pick anything up. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your day is literally just those basics. Also about, you know, creating the things that you need to do that. So like you need to make all your pots and pans. You need to chop all your wood for the fire. And so that's kind of the life that people were leading. And there were some kind of gender roles in this, usually just because like men oftentimes are like, you know, bigger and stronger. So they're usually the ones who are slaughtering the animals, chopping up wood, um, you know, things like that. But it was different from country to country. There were like different gender roles. And also mm-hmm. people weren't really obviously traveling outside of their little town or their family super often. So you also just kind of did what you did. You didn't have like that comparison factor. Nobody's looking at each other's social media and seeing what your, uh, what your friends are doing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, you're just kind of living your life and, you know, whatever your like husband or wife mm-hmm. wants to do, you kind of do. And in those times, people usually had a lot of kids too so the kids were also a part of this so like say you're unpaid labor yes (laughs) that too and so like say you're like prepping dinner you know the guys outside chopping firewood usually the kids would be the ones like taking the wood inside the mom would start the fire and the hearth and all that good stuff and so pretty much you're you're living this insular life right like you're pretty much just kind of living in your little town on your land everything is good and happy and um Also, something else to note is there wasn't really, like, standard money at that time. You also didn't really need to buy anything because you're mostly just doing all this stuff on your own. You're just kind of living your life. Barter. Yeah, super bartery. So, like, yeah, maybe your neighbor down the street had, like, 
a bunch of chickens and you wanted to like get a chicken, maybe you could, you know, barter this knife that you made for some chickens or whatever. I don't know if that's a fair trade. They would also like um, barter labor too. Like I'll plow your field if you give me a cow. Exactly. So like maybe like somebody's husband hurt his leg. And so, yeah, I'll go and do your stuff for you. And then you can pay me back some other time. So it's kind of just like, all right, I'll keep a log, but also everybody just kind of trusted each other and you Mm -hmm. could figure out what people needed in your little community and stuff like that. And so I just kind of how life was. It's very much like when you were a little kid and like, if you made a bet with a sibling, it was, I'll do your, I'll do your chores for a week. Or you're you're bartering you're bartering because you don't have money because you're a <laughs> child. But in this case, you don't have money because you don't need it. Yeah, exactly. It's super interesting because, like, yeah, you just didn't need anything outside of your community. You weren't going to do anything with that. Also, something else that I think is kind of interesting to think about is, unless somebody was just super talented at something, there also wasn't really anything that existed in the world that you would want. Like, maybe your neighbor made this really cool, like, pot or something, or like, you know, like, but like, there wasn't really anything else that you're going to need in life. You just kind of are living, living your life in your little hut or your house, and everything's all happy and good and so that's going on and then the industrial revolution hits which you know anyone who knows basics about history you probably think about you know factories and things like that popping up like that's i think the only thing i learned about it in steam engine exactly (laughs) the steam engine and big factories and everyone moves to the city and lots of that's when pollution started happening Mm -hmm. and pollution and squalor I just think of smokestacks immediately. Yeah, everything being like super dirty and gross. Bye, ozone. Yeah. Goodbye. It was the beginning of the end. But anyway. (laughs) Like a moment of silence for the ozone. It got really dark there. So did the ozone. Yeah. So industrial revolution happens. People start moving more to cities. So you're like moving outside of your little baby, tiny community. Money starts being a thing. And so you start to, you know, be distracted by the idea that I can start making money. And so we can start buying things. You know, we can have a life that is different than just this little community we have, which is kind of like nice as it sounds like, you know, you're living on your little farm or in your little community, but the way of living wasn't necessarily great. Like life expectancy wasn't awesome. Medicine wasn't very widespread. So it definitely, there were a lot of positives to wanting to check out this factory working life. And so people start to move closer to cities. They start to kind of abandon that existing way of life and people start to be paid for their labor, which is like the first time this was really regulated. You know, you had payment for labor like we were talking about in the form of bartering or in the form of like little ways of doing things in your community. This was the first time it was really regulated and you could say I'm getting X amount of money for a day's worth of work, whatever it may be. And so it's that. It's also the first time that men start to really work outside of the home on a regular basis. So you're going to work every day in your factory or wherever you're working. And you're also starting to work in one specific industry. So like you're working in a factory that makes cotton or like a steam factory or whatever it is and so you're starting to get super i'm sorry i'm just thinking of what a factory that makes steam is 
<laughs> it's just a lot of guys. A lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a sauna. Wait, it's a sauna. <laughs> it's, it's, just... it's a spa. I'm calling I'm calling a spa the steam factory from now on. I mean, you'd be really lucky yeah. if you were placed in a steam factory. <laughs> Clearly I focused my research on like the home part of this and not whatever hey, they were doing I mean, in factories. Who cares? <laughs> who cares what the men were doing? We wanna we wanna understand why all of the housework fell on the women. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> Whatever type of factory you're working in, there's different types of them. So the men are going and doing this. And so, of course, the women are still staying at home because it is, you know, work as a man's job is very much that uh, that rhetoric that is happening there. And so what we start to see is because men are going to work. Obviously, these they're producing things in these factories that are more ready-made. And so you start to see kind of like the man's part of the job disappear. So like, for example, um, you know, back in the day, if you needed milk, you would go out to your dairy cow and you would milk the dairy cow and you would pasteurize the milk. And like, there's like a full day's worth of work at that point. I am B.T. Newberg of the brand new podcast, The History of Sex. We explode gender norms by exploring their incredible variety across time. In today's culture of gay marriage, trans rights, and a new politically correct term every day, things can feel a little chaotic. It makes you long for the good old days. When men were men and women were women, and nothing could be more clear, right? Well, sorry to break it to you, but... Those days never existed. If there's one thing the history of sex teaches us, it's that sex and gender have varied fantastically across different eras and cultures. For example, did you know that the Nazis encouraged young women to bear a child out of wedlock for the fatherland? Or that pre-contact Hawaii had no such thing as marriage? Or that ancient Romans had no concept of orientation, only a vague sense of preference for one sex or the other? That's the kind of stuff that we'll be covering in our new podcast, The History of Sex. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. The History of Sex. And so now, instead of that, you would have somebody else do that part of the job for you, and you would get that milk from the store or have it delivered. And so the women still had something to do with that, but kind of the man's part of the job didn't exist anymore. Or if like you need to go buy firewood, you could go buy it at the store. You could, um, you know, buy ready-made clothes for the first time. It used to be that clothes were something that you would just create yourself. And what I think is really interesting about this is you start to see, which will become a trend, is the man's part of the job is taken out. So like it used to be usually the men would like weave the fabric and the women would like cut and sew it. So like that part is gone because you can either buy the fabric as is or you can buy ready-made clothes. But what you start to see is like in these fab in um in these factories they're making cotton and things like that. Whereas clothes used to be made out of like animal products, like mm-hmm. leather or wool and that type of stuff you don't really have to wash very often. Like you would just like kind of wipe it clean. You would like wash it every once in a while. But as you start to see these other types of fabrics introduced, these are types of fabrics that A, are cheaper. So you can buy a lot more of them. So the amount of clothes people have like dramatically increase. Mm-hmm. And also there are things that have to be cleaned more often. So you see the man's part of this work disappear, but the woman's part of the work somehow becomes more and more complicated. Doubles? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. And literally nothing gets taken away. And this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but like as we get to like further into it, 
like as for example like stoves and refrigerators become more commonplace as we get a little later into the late 1800s early 1900s there's also you know not just like one thing that you made like you know back in the day maybe you had like a couple soups you would make and stuff like that now you have like literally hundreds of different recipes and like baking and stuff like that that becomes like more and more popular to do and so like the women's part of the work just becomes more and more complicated as you go on and literally nothing gets taken away this this is so infuriating hearing (laughs) it like put this way and it makes so much sense oh my god guys don't have to do anything but now we have to do things well and And also also you have access to more products and groceries for example so then you have more things to figure out what the hell to do with one and two like even more recipes because now you've been introduced to we talk about the banana republics on another episode this season so like now you have like a banana and you're like fuck do I do with this? Yo, I just got an Instant Pot. And we could have just made chili, but now we got to read the manual and we got to fuck up chili a few times before. (laughs) Like, trust me, I get it, ladies. I get it. It's a lot of physical labor and emotional labor. Yes. Oh my God. I and reading about- the manual is a whole job because you know that the man isn't going to read it. That's oh a full God. day's work in itself. I say this, but we have an instant pot and I have not <clears throat> looked at that thing myself. My husband is the only one who uses it <laughs> when he cooks for me because I'm spoiled. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was like, as I've been researching this stuff, I just get, you know, disproportionately angry at everything for no good reason. And like, I was making a uh, coffee this morning, and I realized we have like four different ways to make coffee. And I'm like, but why? Like, and and I mean, you look at the way technology is progressing even nowadays and whatnot, and everything that is made is made to save time and make your life easier but you're giving us 20 of those things that now you're taking up more time mm-hmm. yes. to do the things that are saving your time. Sorry. I'm no mind blown right now. We're going to have so many little mini rants that we're going to like want to go on during this. <laughs> I'm trying to keep all my rants tiny. Cause I know right? there's going to be a lot more coming. I'm so <laughs> I just want to be like, what is the deal with single use kitchen appliances? Oh my God. (laughs) Like, yeah, I think this could be like a 25 hour podcast if we wanted it to be. (laughs) I could like make, I could probably make an entire one on like the history of the refrigerator. Um, But (laughs) hold me back. I know, I know. (laughs) But I mean, that, so that was, it's a really good point though, in terms of like all of this stuff was invented to save time. Like we're still seeing it now with stuff like the Instant Pot. But, like, it, back then, it was, first of all, it's, like, electricity was just, like, becoming a thing. So, like, as you get later into the Industrial Revolution, like, late 1800s, early 1900s, you have electricity, you have running water, you have all of this, like, crazy stuff that didn't exist before. And there starts to be this huge schism for the first time between one generation and the next you know for like hundreds and hundreds of years before that your life wasn't dramatically different than like your parents or your grandparents but now you're like one generation removed basically from people who lived on farms and had to slaughter their own animals and stuff like that whereas now you just get that stuff delivered or you can get it from the grocery down the street so it's starting to become super different 
And you're also getting all of these appliances, like you were talking about, that are supposed to save time and energy and effort. Uh, So like the generation before, you're pretty much just making stuff in a hearth, which is pretty much just like a fire inside your house, because it would also warm you as well. Mm -hmm. And so now you have heat. And so now you have things like ovens that you're going to make your food in. So here's another interesting part is you start to see the movement of the things inside your home from something that was centralized to something that's completely separate. It's like now your kitchen is a separate place where your stove is, where your refrigerator is, as opposed to being the sort of family gathering place that it used to be before. And so you've cut out the man's part of this job. And now you're starting also to cut out like the kids part of the job as well, because they don't have to help kind of do things in between their parents. Um, There starts to be sneaky sons of bitches. Right? I blame the children. I blame the children skimping out on work. Right? (laughs) These kids, man. It's like, it is interesting too, because like as much as I just want to blame the patriarchy for everything, um, like it's not... It's not like a complete, it's definitely part of it, but it's not a completely patriarchal issue. Like a lot of this stuff totally made sense at the time. Like, does it make sense now? I don't really know. I mean, a lot of people you have can always blame, You can always blame the patriarchy, capitalism, which was built by the patriarchy, and the children, <laughs> obviously. I believe the children are our future. No. But it is so funny. It's, it's funny when generations are like, ugh kids these days they don't know how to work or whatever but i mean you get an oven you kind of take away the children's job they just want to work they just want to work let them work (laughs) give the kids jobs come on The Industrial Revolution kids were probably really annoying because their parents had had no idea what to do with them. Well, like, except oh, for the ones, my day. Except, except for the, the ones, ones that were put to work in the factory. Right? <laughs> I know. So another side to this. Well, so actually, that that point being said, is there actually then this was also the first time that we start to kind of see, at least in the U.S. So like this part of the story is very U.S. based, just because that's where a lot of the research is. But like you start to see real wealth gaps for the first time. So like you start to also see people who can start to hire people to work inside their house like as opposed to before it was very much a family job um but you start to really see that sort of wealth differential of the people who really have to be at home all the time so like if you were in a lower class you kind of had to be at home working all the time because first of all there's all these new inventions um and so you have to kind of be taking care of your home whereas the upper class people had the ability with their newfound money to hire people to do some of this work for them inside the home. So you start to see kind of like the rise of um, like maids and different types of like home workers as well who are taking care of that too. And so you start to see, again, the invention of all this new good stuff, quote unquote good, stuff like the refrigerator, the oven, the stove. And so now there's these new kind of gadgets and gizmos that start to keep people at home that are, of course, a great thing. Like we all love having a refrigerator and being able to keep food for more than like, you know, an hour or whatever it usually would be for it to go bad. It's a great invention, but at the same time, it starts to create more 
more ideas and more problems for people when it comes, yeah, it comes to working inside the home. And you also like in the industrial revolution, like I mentioned, people are moving to cities. So you're also way closer to people than you've ever been before. So you're starting to get that like comparison factor they like to say where you're like, oh, Sally down the street made this amazing thing for her family the other day. Before there were no, there were no Joneses to keep up with. Mm -hmm. Now you got Joneses all over the place. (laughs) And it's really wild to think about too. This was only like 150 years ago, max, like 100, 150 years ago, this stuff was happening for the very first time. My brain is just like, what? It's just everything you're saying is so like simple and like we know all this stuff but, but like, you know no one ever no one ever just like lays it out this way because yeah this is reordering structures totally it's like when people say drink water it's good for you and you're like nah and then you start <laughs> drinking water you're like oh my god you guys know water's really good for you like my skin <laughs> looks amazing right now it's just like that well hopefully i bring just as much like goodness into your life as uh water, water. has done for you anna you yes. already have you already <laughs> Thank have you. Thank you. Also, like during this time as well, is people are people are having money. So especially kind of like upper class folks, you're able to buy or rent or whatever, live in larger homes too. So like it's the first time that you're also hiring other people to like build a place for you. In cities, usually it was like, you know, an apartment or um, I think of like, you know, New York City, like brownstones being built at that time. But it's way bigger than you're ever going to be able to have done a few years before that and it's also because of that industrial revolution style um invention of how to build buildings Mm -hmm. you're able to build up as well which you hadn't been able to before so this also opens up this whole other part of the story which is houses and homes are getting bigger which guess what that means more things to clean and also more room for stuff yeah more room for stuff you're able to buy all of your ready-made clothes now so you get more things you also have yeah more stores and also more places to like I don't think we're quite in like washing machine time yet but like you could have your washing machine you have your oven your refrigerator things you literally wouldn't have had room for yeah before that also the thing you said earlier about like the hearth and everything essentially being just one big room there's more places for kids to hide <laughs> and for like damn kids gym to hide it's like <laughs> Oh yeah, I'll be a, I'll be a wash the clothes. Where'd he go? He's just in his man cave downstairs. Like, I'll joke aside that I've never thought about that physical isolation within a house itself. You are literally in a you know a four bedroom whatever. You yeah. t- could go a whole day without seeing anyone in the house. It's well, like, and also- I'm gonna go hang out in my room, and that separation, that isolation from tasks. Which you couldn't, you couldn't do that when the only warm part of the house was also basically the kitchen and the family room. Which is why my parents didn't pay for heat. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like they, they, uh, you are also literally creating a separate room and corner of the house to keep your wife in. Yeah. You couldn't tell a woman to, to stay in the kitchen before the industrial revolution. We right. were all there. We were all in the kitchen. <laughs> the whole house was the kitchen. Yeah. And the bedroom and the <laughs> living room. But yeah, like that's such like a, it's, that's such a good point too. It's like back 
yeah, like 200 years ago, like separate bedrooms even, like weren't even really a thing. Everyone was just chilling in one big room all day and you did all of your stuff there. You did all of your work there. And so you start to see like kind of a psychological difference at this point in time too, where like the guy and the family's going off to work, living his life. This is, I'm not an expert on like schools, but I think this is also when like schools started to sort of mostly be a thing you weren't just like teaching your kids whatever you wanted to teach them all day so they start to be sent off to school everyone starts to be going to different places besides the woman of the house who is just at home quite often feeling like it's a burden to be at home too because you have to be doing all of these tasks whereas when it was the very beginning of a lot of this stuff it was more of like a oh this is so exciting a new way of doing things but then it starts to become this monotonous annoying thing where you're kind of like chained to that and so you also start to see the psychological part where women's work is not valued quite as much because this is the time where you're starting to see a monetary of value assigned to the work that men are doing and that's not happening for women's work okay so my mom's parents were farmers and i loved seeing my grandma because she was like she was running the tractor. She was running the combine. Like when my grandpa was like harvesting fields, she'd take like trucks back and forth to drop off soybeans and everything. Like she was a badass. She was doing the physical yeah. labor. She was also cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids. They, I mean, I'm, I know a lot of families did this, but they seem to have a very modern partnership and it was so cool. And I found this old newspaper clipping from the late 50s early 60s that said how much is your wife worth or something like that and they did a statistical breakdown if you were to hire someone to do laundry it would be this much to cook it would be this much to and then they broke down all of the like field work labor she was doing the yard work because they had like a fucking acre of a front lawn that she was mowing too and it was I was weirdly kind of proud because she was like, kind of like, if you paid this woman to do everything she was doing, you were dropping like, I don't even remember the number was, but it was like a big ass number for the time. I was like, way to go grandma. But then I'm also like, they're writing this up. Like it was, it was such a weird, you go girl. Like, so I think it was supposed to be like self-empowerment, but also it was like, but we're not paying her and she's happy to not be paid for it. And my grandma wasn't the only one doing this. It was women were pulling their weight and then some. That's almost like radical that they even created that article too, especially 50s, 60s. It was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, she sounds like a badass. She was pretty badass. She swam across the Mississippi. Just like she just wanted to. Just casual. amazing. Just like a nice day for a swim. Yeah. I always bring that up. I don't, the Mississippi's wide and it's treacherous. That's, yeah, that's my other cool anecdote about my grandma. Way to go, Georgine. But that, like, totally illustrates the point, right? It's like there's, especially as you begin to kind of, like, create these different things for women to do, for lack of better words, and things start to get more and more kind of complicated, Mm -hmm. it is insane what the dollar amount would be to, like, actually have somebody else step in and do all of this stuff. Well, and also because to what you said earlier, where nobody was really just really good at one thing before all of this, 
everyone was kind of a jack of all trades because they had to be, they had to do all of these things. The men become very focused in one craft or one trade while the women are getting like new technology thrown at them every GD day and are figuring it out and also figuring out what the hell to do with bananas. And <laughs> they're learning all this stuff and their their skill set stays very, very wide and diverse. Mm-hmm. And that is why today our husbands... I'm saying our, because mine has said this to me too, can say that I fold better. And I'm like, well, (laughs) maybe you should learn. I mean, also you look at like kind of the transition from women stepping out of the the home and like going to actual work. And then you get movies like Mr. Mom, where the dad is like, I can spend, you know, like a week at home with the kids and he loses his shit. He's like, I don't know how to do anything. You put that kind of transition from women and going into the workplace and then the men having to step in and they look like invalids. Like, come on, y'all. And then when they actually do something right, they get, you know, celebrated for it where it's like, "Uh, y'all, we're doing this every day. Yeah. Anytime a dad brushes his daughter's hair, it's like- There's a whole think piece about it in like seven different- Oh my God. Upworthy videos. And then a mom does it and it's like, you're pulling your hair too hard. Like, let me tell you how you should treat your children. And like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Back to comparison. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, so- Using that as a segue, jumping in on my jumping in on my Yee! own segues <laughs> as we all roll along. Um, <laughs> we're so like so now we're in like early 1900s, and so here we start to also see the rise of like magazines and newspapers, like really becoming super widespread and accessible to everyone. And then we get this like lovely little thing called advertising. Hey, Nat, uh, can I talk about Iowa for a minute? Honestly, I'm shocked you're even asking for permission this time. It's just that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun, and they're headquartered in Iowa. Yeah, but they're bigger than Iowa. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, really? Who called them that? Raygun did. Checks out. All I'm saying is don't limit Raygun's excellence to just Iowa. I mean, they've got brick and mortar stores in six cities and like an online empire. They're super important to the fabric of the entire universe. Their t-shirts are like the second most important element and they gain on oxygen like every day. That's true. Also, they are super modest. They are. It's truly awe-inspiring. Gosh, Raygun's just so great. Right? And this is an ad paid for by them. So go check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code SHERRYALATER to save on your next order. Uh, Now, can I talk about Iowa? Oh, look, we're out of time. Where literally the point of a lot of these early advertisements are to advertise to homemakers saying, buy this product, it'll make your husband happy. Or like, it'll make your floors so sparkly. I don't, I'm just making Or it'll tell up, you how but... a good cigarette should taste. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, <laughs> if you just like Google like early 1900s advertisements, like that's the epitome of super sexist, like gross stuff. It is, like, so bad. And so, like, you start to also see, like, just the general rise of consumerism as well. And so now it's also not just like, oh, we invented the refrigerator. Go buy it. Now there's, like, 10 different refrigerators you can buy, and they all do different things. So, again, you're going to compare yourself to the person who lives down the street in this fancy new thing that she just bought. 
And so now there's, I think earlier we were talking about that, uh, like emotional labor of it all too. And like thinking about what you have versus what somebody else has and how that's going to work. And it just like adds this other layer onto it too. It's interesting because this is also the first time that you are getting all of these things done in a day that might have taken you like your mother or your grandmother like a week or several days to do. And so then there's just all of these additional things for you to do. So like earlier, I was talking a little bit about like, there's all these new recipes. Like, so you're getting new, you know, magazines that have different recipes for you to try. Again, you see your neighbor making something that looks really cool. So you want to try it out too. So it also begins to make people who are staying at home, women mostly, much more productive but it's not taking away any of those things. So you're also, again, com- like continuing to be a jack of all trades, a Jane of all trades um, in, in this situation. But you're also like having about a thousand other things to do too. So your like mind is starting to go a bunch of different places too. So it's adding that emotional labor, that emotional weight to it. And again, you're continuing to be more and more isolated because you're physically in a different part of the home than the rest of your family. And you're also starting to see at this time, the fact that people, again, are, the men are, of course, working outside of the home, but transportation is easier. So men are at work longer. You might be living further away from where you work than you might have been a few years before this. So again, you're being more and more isolated at home. And once the men get home, they're like, oh, I'm tired. I've been at work all day. So they're, again, not going to help out either. I love how when, when men stop doing their kind of jack of all trade thing, they start specializing. First of all, most of their jobs almost, I mean, they kind of stop being physical altogether. And most of these jobs are kind of abstract, like banking, marketing, advertising. We're just trying to make more of this imaginary currency money. And like, they just kind of forget how to do everything. Like, I think there was something that came out a few years ago or a decade ago that's like most women are running the finances for the household as well. And now we're going to work and we also know how to cook and use an Instapot and take care of the kids. And we've been practicing multitasking for the past hundred years. It's like, we are primed to take over the world right now. Yes. (laughs) Finger tent, finger tent, finger tent. We have them right where we want them. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting too. It's like we were talking about earlier. It's like you're doing all of these things. And I had read somewhere in my research that like being a homemaker is the only job that you literally have no training for. You're expected to do a hundred different things. You're expected to react immediately when these things are thrown at you. Like there's no job that would have a description like this. Like it's very much this thing that's just expected. Yeah. And so- In turn. Yeah. <laughs> So like as we start to get a little bit later into the 20th century, once we get into like the World War II era, as we were talking about earlier, women do start to go to work, which is like the first time this ever happened. More and more women start to join the workforce because also at the same time, you're starting to see, of course, like those war related jobs, but you're also seeing more office jobs. So the workforce is starting to move from being in factories and being very like um physical yes (laughs) thank you 
So things are starting to move from being product-based to more service-based. So like you were saying, like advertising, uh, you're starting to work in like marketing to create all these wonderfully sexist advertisements. We're starting Um, to go after that, you know, dream sedentary lifestyle. Oh yeah. Sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And so that's starting to happen too. So those are also creating jobs that women would be better quote unquote suited for, for the times, like being a secretary, um, you know, being a, a typist back when that, that was a job. And before this, there were some women in the workforce being nurses or being teachers. But at the time that was very socially viewed as like a last resort or like if a married woman was ever working, that meant that your husband wasn't providing for you. And it's like, usually it was only single women that had jobs like that. I also... It just occurred to me, I don't know how it just occurred to me, but the only reason for a typist and a secretary to be a job that women are better suited for, other than the fact that like women weren't really welcome in higher education at this point or later education, but the only reason that those jobs are a job that women were better suited for is like they're better at listening to people and they're more patient. It's like, that's why... Why else would a secretary be a job that is best suited for women unless you're basically saying men don't have the patience or the listening skills or the multitasking skills or the note-taking skills to do that job? Women really like turn that job into something so much better than like it could have been because they were able to step in. You take like a really good receptionist or a really good administrative whatever, and you take them away. Whoever they're assisting is lost. Yeah. yeah. Miranda Priestley is nothing. Lost. Nothing without Andrea. Yeah, they have no idea what's going on. I mean, it's just like you were talking about like movies with uh, whenever dads need to step in and take care of their kids. It's the same yeah. thing. They don't yeah. know what they're doing. So yeah, not such a lowly job now, Brad. Yeah. I'm really glad that you chose a name that begin didn't begin with T for the first time. We've really I, we've really told off Ted and Todd in this episode. But. I do a lot of Todd. If it's a teenager or a small boy, it's always Jeremy. Jeremy's just Jeremy's just, hiding in his room and shirking off his housework. So <laughs> you said shirking off, right? Yes, because <laughs> I didn't. It took me. A I heard that's what I meant Jeremy. to say. <laughs> We'll have to review the tapes to see what I actually said. (laughs) Anna, you got a segue for this one? Um, (laughs) I don't, but I'll throw a stat at you. Yes! Great. That segue. So by 1945, women made up 36% of the workforce in the United States. They did not, it seems like, keep any stats before that for women in the workforce. That is also when they invented stats. Yeah, I... (laughs) They were like, it, you know, I mean, as we've learned, it seems like they were just like writing in stone before this. So uh, the men were at least. Exactly. (laughs) And so then after that, it went down a little bit because like some women stepped in during uh, World War II. But like the societal norms start to change a little bit after this. So a lot of women do go back to being a homemaker, taking care of the home post-war. But there are some women who are like, wait, I really like this. Like, 
like I like making my own money. I like doing something that's outside of the home. And so there are some women who stay in the workforce or decide once their kids get older to go back. It seems like there's a lot of women at this time that really enjoy kind of finding something else to do that isn't taking care of the home. And so it definitely didn't necessarily become a norm by any means for women to be working. Like there's still plenty of people who look down upon that, but it started to become a little more common. And so now we kind of enter the last phase of this, which is very interesting, is that since, you know, the 1940s, which was, I would not be on the the, the math. mathematics <laughs> the shared mathematics because <laughs> i cannot do that math what is that like 70, 80 years ago 80 years sure 80 years um wait, so wait 1940s yeah 80 years ago perfect so like the last 70 to 80 years because it's like mid 40s we have more women working and like now obviously many more women are working but the housework still hasn't necessarily been taken away so like it's really honestly quite the opposite because A, social norms of keeping our homes clean, making or keeping our clothes clean, making our own food, that continues to be pretty standard. So like we kind of have those social norms of like we take care of our homes, we want to be like clean people. And then B, we also see houses and the things that we own continue to grow. So like we continue to have more clothes. We continue to have larger houses. We see people in like post-war times also start to move further away from cities. It is easier to have cars. They become much more affordable for people. Um, And it's also much more affordable for people to buy houses that aren't in cities. And so suburbs start to become really popular after the war and increases the number of multi-car families. And so again, this is just giving people more things to take care of. You have a larger home, you have a yard. The fact that you have that accessibility to transportation means you're probably living further away from where you work than you have before. It's easier for your kids to do other things. This is kind of the first time that kids have their like own social calendar. Blame as those opposed damn to, lazy kids. Right? Try to get away from work. Again, always working responsibilities. Mom, I'm not going to go uh, vacuum. I'm going to go do this other stuff. For the first time, they could do things that weren't just playing with the kids on their street. You know, Tommy's got soccer practice. I have to go take him to that, you know, for the first time. And so Great. then- Add to mom's plate. Now she has to drive her kids to shit. <laughs> exactly. And so like for the first time, it's like, here's all of these other things that kids are doing. So the mom usually has to end up driving their kids. Again, men generally are working further away at this point in time. And so they're getting home later. They're more tired. Um, that's a whole, again, another thing that we can cover in a separate episode is like the days get longer. There's yeah. more responsibilities for that. And yeah, like you mentioned, it's like something else for the mom to do. And so one of the stats that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode where it's like a lot of women can't go get a job because they're like, well, who's going to take my kids? Going to cart them around all day. That whatever that price would be to hire somebody to do that and to find somebody they trust yeah. to do that is hard. Yeah, that goes into the whole topic of affordable childcare. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting talking about, you know, mom having to take Timmy to soccer practice. And then I was just thinking of the minivan and I was like, well, minivans were advertised to women for that. Most advertising, I would love to see a breakdown of how much advertising is geared towards household women. Because what's something that's advertised 
specifically for men, like at that time, at least, you know, like Mm -hmm. kind of like toys, you know, like cars or like a cool watch or something. But the majority of stuff that you're getting in the Sears Roebuck catalog or whatever, it's going to be stuff to help you in the kitchen. Let's get a new car because I need to throw all my ungrateful, shitty children in there to take to school and soccer. And it's so interesting that the majority of advertising is geared towards women and yet we had such horrible sexist advertising it's also like the the, they say even i mean they say even now that if you if you want if you're an inventor if you have a new big idea the most sure thing i feel like the household appliance and like household market is now pretty oversaturated but they say that it they say that it's like household stuff or like if you can invent something for like childcare or for like babies, that's, that's like the safest bet now for inventions. Like that's where, that's the next frontier of innovation and new and technology. where you're placing that advertisement. We did an episode on the 99ers, the women's national soccer team and how it was a fluke. They should have not filled 80,000 person stadiums. Like people shouldn't have gotten this excited about it. They don't know what happened. And they started like putting advertisements geared towards women and children because this was like the rise of the soccer mom. And so one of these huge international soccer games, they had like a tampon commercial. You would never have seen that in a sporting event ever, but we're gearing it. We're trying to find different market for it. It's gonna explode. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, we I just talking, had to bring up soccer. Of course you did. You know, we talk about soccer in the, in the positive light, not just, you know, uh, having to cart your, cart your kids' soccer practice yeah, every horrible day. horrible children. Right? I don't think kids are bad. I need everyone to know that. <laughs> Nap, quick confession. I can't stop thinking about your birthday cake from last year. Oh, the one from ECBG Cake Studio? Is that where that delicious custom cake was from? Yep, but ECBG does more than cake. They help everyone celebrate the moments that matter. They believe in equality and community and that ordinary moments should be celebrated too. Not just extraordinary people's birthdays, wink. They even have online baking classes. Mm, they sound dreamy. You know, if you're still dreaming of that cake, you should check out at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or their website, ECBG Studio. I just like am thinking about how I was that child driving my siblings and I to our 8 million extracurricular activities for my mother was more than a full-time job. Right? And it's such like a new thing. Like, you know, before this, it's like, go play on the street. I mean, I don't think Mm -hmm. they were super concerned about uh, safety either. So it's like, go play in the busy street. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, this stuff was almost in, I mean, this is very cynical, but it was almost invented to keep the mother busy and like to give her something else to do oh like systemic patriarchal bullshit well in in like that's the thing too is like i i do it's so patriarchal it's like and i i don't want to say like all of this is because of the patriarchy but i think it's just that like that decision was so made by the men who like didn't think about it they're like oh well my wife is there to take care of it you know yeah Yeah, i hate that every argument it's just so easy to fall back on blaming the patriarchy but it is it's set up to benefit men but it didn't initially start that it's just like here's an oven madam you deserve it it's so easy to blame the unholy trinity of 
toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, and capitalism. <laughs> well, and it's so relevant here. It's so relevant. I mean, in, and in this example, it's like, yeah, you didn't necessarily think about all that stuff at the beginning, but it's also persisted for hundreds of years and we haven't changed it yet. And I think a huge reason for that is like men don't really think about it. <laughs> I think that's why it's so difficult for men or anyone in in any sort of privileged demographic to grasp because yeah no one's doing this shit intentionally no one's like well i didn't decide to do that but if it's benefiting you you don't see outside of that like Mm -hmm. if you're the one that doesn't have to deal with all this shit you don't notice that when we're kids we don't know half the shit that mom's doing to keep the household surviving and then you grow up and you're like oh my god are you okay you were yeah. doing so much. And until you see it, you don't realize it's happening. People look at my schedule, I think, sometimes. Not now in a pandemic. Honestly, probably still now in a pandemic. But people will like look at my schedule and be like, how do you get how do you get any of that done? How do you do so much? And in the back of my head, I think I always think, imagine three of me plus yourself. And that's what my mother was doing. Yeah. And so it's wild because like, as we start to like get into this, you see more and more mothers were, so like some of this stuff I was going to talk about is mother specific, but like you see more and more mothers going back to work, but then like this other stuff doesn't disappear by any means. And so the, one of the last stats I'm going to throw at you is that um, in the, By the late 1960s, about 50% of mothers who had kids under the age of 18, so still at home, were going back to work. That stat then raised to about 25% in the late 80s, and it's held steady at there, which I thought was really interesting. So since the late 80s, about the same amount of mothers work outside the home as, as about the same amount of mothers work outside the home now as they did in the late 80s. So that stayed pretty much the same. But we haven't really seen a ton of like innovations in the last 30 years since then that have changed the game for anyone. What's really interesting is a lot of those kind of convenience innovations like fast food, frozen dinners, you know, hiring someone to clean your home are still kind of looked down upon even for people who are working full-time jobs, whether they're a single parent or whether it's two working parents in the home, that type of thing is still kind of looked down upon. And so there hasn't been any sort of innovation there. Also, a couple more final stats here is that there's some studies that show that women, if you're in a a family, a heterosexual relationship that has children, women do about two times the amount of housework than men do, even if both of them are working. So it disproportionately continues to fall on the shoulders of women, even though you might be in a situation where both of you are working full-time jobs, um, whereas, you know, women still are working, like, way more. And so it's estimated that uh, women tend to spend about 30 hours a week on housework and men spend about 14 hours a week. Oof. Yeah, it's gross. Woof. Big woof. Yeah. I can't remember if it was you, Natalie, or you, Anna, that said it early, like, women going to the workforce and then the reason like in world war ii and the reason they stayed is like they like the autonomy they like having some of their own money in their pocket to be able to buy their own shit and then i remembered uh and i was trying to look up the date women could not get a credit card until 1974. Yep. there's a listicle so there's some other stuff on here i'm just gonna say this one other one 
in all 50 states, it was not until 1973 that women could serve on a jury. It's absurd. There There was some exception, like Utah in 1879 thought it was cool. But like for all 50 states, Supreme Court, you know, we hold it up like 1973 women couldn't serve on a jury. Crazy. That, I mean, I know everyone hates jury duty, but like, I know that's crazy. Already established that they're the best listeners and take the best notes. So who do you Fair. think should be the jury foreman? Right. You want them on please, there. Please don't make all, all jury foreman women. Please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that to the, to, to the women of the world. <laughs> don't give us something else to do. Please. We don't need to do anything. And we don't need to, we don't need to be the reliable note. It's like when, it's like whenever you're in a, we were in a group assignment in school but also in work and somebody has to take notes and everyone turns to like the girls because we are supposed to have the better handwriting and it's like this is oh and i didn't so i got away with it i have horrible handwriting and i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you pesky ovaries (laughs) (laughs) it's a very weird episode of scooby-doo i'm referencing i love it I love it. And so like, it's, there's not necessarily a happy ending to this. Um, We're living in it. (laughs) Right. We're living in it. But it's, I think that this is interesting, especially during coronavirus era. Like I've read so many articles about women who are leaving their jobs to take care of their kids because like their kids aren't in school right now Mm -hmm. or to take care of other things going on. And it's just, I think more and more evident that this is history that applies to today. And there's not really a reason why this falls on the shoulders of women. It just kind of evolved that way. It became a social norm, especially for women who are caretakers, whether they're taking care of their own children or another family member. It seems like it just continues to fall on women and it continues to take up their mental capacity as well as their time. And so I think that kind of my biggest takeaways in terms of researching this is two things. A, be okay with like not having everything be perfect. Like, you know, you don't need to, I'm telling myself, like, you don't need to wash a t-shirt every time you wear it if you didn't get it gross. You know, your your house does not need to be spotless all the time. Like, that's ridiculous. And then also you can embrace some of those conveniences. Like it is fine to get fast food. Like who cares what amazing dinner your friend on Instagram made? Like it's fine to do that. Get your like meal kit delivery. Embrace those little modern conveniences wherever you can. Because even if there is somebody out there who's like, I ate all organic and like created everything from scratch and, you know, is doing all of this stuff do it however it works for you and know that uh the patriarchy and capitalism created this and we can create something different like you said there's been no real change or evolution since when was it the 80s you know like working at home or like the way this structure has changed and now we're thrown into a pandemic innovation is forced upon us and we're making it work we're figuring out we're adapting we're innovating like it's possible to change things and yeah. it shouldn't, it doesn't need to be like a dire, like we're in these uncertain times. So now you can help with the laundry. Yeah. Somewhat, you know, it's like, these are not like set in stone and crazy things to change. It's just totally doable. Yeah. But, but per what Anna just said, like thinking of my friends with school age children, 
the homeschooling is falling on the women more often than not. And in some cases, it's because the women already had a more flexible work schedule or were only working part-time or were working in industries that they can't really work right now. So there is that. There is in some cases, it's like, no, this makes sense because you were already in this role that you didn't need to be in. A lot of companies are more flexible with women in regards to... Yeah, maternity or childcare. So yeah, dad doesn't get paternity leave and dad isn't going to be given a, oh, little, little Sally's sick. Yeah. Go pick her up. No, he's going to call mom because traditionally we don't, we don't give men that opportunity to let's throw the ball in their court a bit and make it easier for them to help out. Yeah, totally. And like something we that, uh, you know, again, it could be a whole nother episode that we didn't even talk about. It's like the the pay gap as well. So unfortunately, I've seen a lot of women's be like, (laughs) a lot of women be like, you know, I, you know, I'm making less. So I'll leave my job um, as opposed to the other way around. Well, or or the fact that there isn't structured affordable childcare. And so even if the women are making more, a lot of the reason, a huge reason why at least one parent stays home with the kids, regardless of whether it's a man or the woman, is because if you run the numbers of what that would cost to have childcare instead of having an unpaid parent at home. Yeah. Well, and that's like, that's it. it, You would literally be working to pay for the childcare. So at that point, people make the decision to keep a parent at home, regardless of gender and regardless of the pay gap. There's a lot of problems here. Can we stop calling it babysitting when when dads take care of the kids? Yeah. (laughs) That bothers me so much. We just call it parenting. (laughs) Being a parent. It's like in that- parent. And then suddenly that that stat that I said at the beginning, I think it was 42% of women like go don't have an out of the home job because, you know, it doesn't make sense for them to or they can't because of that unpaid labor. And it starts to just make so much more sense when you think about that fact where it's like, oh, childcare sucks. And so yeah. we, it doesn't make any sense for me to have a job if all of that money is just going straight to childcare. Yeah. Children. Yikes. A big yike for me, dog. So it's all the kids' fault. I yeah, blame the, decided, blame the children. <laughs> it's not the patriarch. It's fucking kids. <laughs> jokes. Jokes on jokes. I also do love it because, okay, because I really, listen, I really hope we get a comment or a review citing this episode being like, they're just a bunch of women who hate men. Because in that case, I'd be like, calm the fuck down. You're acting very emotional right now. <laughs> also... I would like to say for the record, as teased earlier, I I love to cook. I can cook. I cook when I am asked to if my husband doesn't want to make food. But otherwise, I am largely a kept woman when it comes to feeding me. We record on Mondays around 6.30 or 7, prime dinner time. And I can't tell you how many times... Natalie's sitting in her little basement studio and she's got her all of her notes splayed out and Justin just comes with this like beautifully plated and elaborately cooked like vegan confection and Natalie has to remind me she's like I can cook I can can I enjoy it too really I just good like at it. I just like messing around with I like to experiment and play with new recipes and he likes to make sure that we don't starve so it's a great it's a great balance. It's great. 
I love it. Of course, again, right after I'm doing all this research, I, I made a cake for uh, Rosh Hashanah this weekend. And uh, I was just like angrily icing the cake. And I'm like, no, I chose to do this. I think that's like, the <laughs> biggest thing where it's like, you can, like, I chose to do this. Like, no, no one is pressuring me. Uh, but yeah, as much as I bug my husband for thinking that I fold better, he's a great cook. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, we have a we have a service bartering uh, relationship in our household where Justin feeds me and I at least tried to I offered to do all of his laundry because I we do our own laundry and I offered to start doing his laundry and folding it and putting it away but then I kept running into the fact that I would open his drawer to put the folded clothes in and the drawer would be a mess and so he he stopped having me do his laundry because he didn't want to get in trouble for not maintaining his drawer pretty good. I mean, I do, you know, highly appreciate that that you know, labor is being uh, recognized in some yeah. sort of bartering agreement. It was great. We're so, just trying to go back to old ways. Yeah, we're just trying to, we're trying to modernize the household by really bringing things back, but like way back. Natalie just has a fire burning in her kitchen right now. She just yeah. demoed the whole place and it's just a one just, giant hearth. Just lit it up. I mean, the way 2020 is going, I'm not really against it. (laughs) Honestly, the way that a small home project has exploded in my house, um, I'm not not really against just setting fire to the whole thing right now either. I love seeing your Instagram updates. I have it. Where it's like, where it was like, we were just going to change a light switch and then the entire floor is gone. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Good for you. Today I found out that uh, we have to replace all of the structural beams. In, we basically have to replace the whole basement. Oof. Like with the exception nice. of like the exterior walls. So there's, but like we do have to repair the foundation. We're going to, the, the plus side is we're gonna, we get a whole new basement. And my 120 year old house will stand for another 120 years because, or at least the basement will, because it's getting like all <laughs> The rest of it, the rest of it, no. But the basement, basically we're building a bomb shelter, a fallout. <laughs> It'll be great. Might need it. It'll be fantastic. Anna, what a wonderful topic that just got us just so, so fired up and so ready to blame children for everything. <laughs> we also have to stop great... blaming the patriarchy. Let's blame children. Yeah. Children. We had some great <laughs> kids' names thrown out. It was so fun. Everyone is going to name their children based on Jeremy. the names that we threw out in this episode. <laughs> Anna, where can folks find you and your podcast? Your podcast is called Made for Women, right? Yes, that is correct. It is, uh, depending on when this episode is released, I have not actually launched it yet. We're in like <gasps> pre-research mode. Oh, so exciting. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, be brave and get myself out there. But if it isn't launched yet, you can find it's on Instagram, made for women pod, and madeforwomenpod.com is the website. And uh, the podcast itself is going to be like a mix of stuff like this, talking about the history and also interviewing some badass women who are doing things differently or who want to share their story. So you can also go to the website and apply to be a guest if you want to. That's so exciting. And because you also do branding and run a branding studio, where could people find that? Yeah, oh, I'm all over the interwebs. My website is AnnaByerlyCreative.com and you can also find me on the gram at AnnaByerly.Creative. Could you, you just spell that for people? Oh yes, thank you. I mean they can also look at our show notes but 
Totally. In case yeah, yeah, yeah. In case I, uh, feeling lazy. Yes, it's Anna, A-N-N-A, Byerly, B-E-Y-E-R-L-E, lots of E's. I, uh, I kept my maiden name when I got married. My husband has like a much more common name, which is great for pr- pronunciation, but not great when Googling me. So kept the unique one. Nice. I understand. Look at that SEO thinking right there. Yeah. Love it. It's all a marketing decision, you know? (laughs) That's what life is. Every decision you make is a marketing decision. Because of capitalism. It's what all comes back to you, right? Yep. All comes back to that unholy trinity. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You now know where to find all of Anna's information and more stuff about her. As always, you can find some great visual aids from this episode and others, and also just probably lots of dumb bits on the social media at SharedPod. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Don't look for us on Facebook. You won't find us. If y'all have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, if you guys have a topic you want us to research because you're lazy and you want us to do it for you. You can email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We love to read it. Please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. I think those are the only place you can write them. I believe they are as well. I will also accept love letters in email, Mm. but only if they're only for me and not for Cass. She doesn't want to hear them. (laughs) She's like, no. Nah. Also, Just because we mentioned if you want to hear a a specific story to holler at us, we have been doing a bunch of bonus episodes on Patreon. We've been doing a series called Little Locals, where once a month we do an episode about something from Iowa or from the greater Chicagoland area, from the greater Des Moines area, something that we pass every day and we're like, who dat statue? So that does and does not tend to be old white men history sometimes, but- I was going to say it ends up being dates and racism, but it not always. So if you're, if there's a topic, if there's something that you pass and you're like, who dad is, you can also request topics for, for that. It's called Little Locals. It's on our Patreon. You support our Patreon at patreon.com slash arcade audio. That is our arcade audio is our parent network and it's an all-in-one Patreon. So if you support us there, you are also supporting and gaining access to bonus content from all the other arcade audio podcasts. So that's exciting. That's all we have to say for you to you. That's all of our, our bits and bops and business. So on that note, Share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.